Hello everybody and welcome back to another Students React, this time featuring students from Africa. They're going to take us through some of their favourite projects, talk about what they like, what they don't like, and we're going to hear from some of the future digital leaders of the African continent. Really excited to have them with us. Claire, let's start off with yourself. Please give us a quick introduction. Where are you from? Where are you studying? And let's get into your first example. Sure. Hello, everyone. My name is Claire Kanja and I'm Kenyan, but I'm currently studying at the African Leadership University in Rwanda. And today I'll be talking about PharmaTrust, which is a company based in London. And before I get to what exactly they do, I'd just like to take you back a little bit back in time and think of the last time you were at a chemist or hospital or pharmacy. I'd like you to imagine you having spent a lump sum amount on medication because we all know how expensive medicine can be. And then three weeks down the line, you find that it's not had any impact on you or worse, it's really affected you in a worse way than you were before. And this is an issue that's existing in the pharma industry and it's one of the very critical ones. And it's an issue of counterfeit medicines that are at a high influx in the market. and when you talk about counterfeit medicines, it manifests itself in different ways. So there's one that we all know of is the fake products. So whereby you buy a syrup and it's probably 70% water or tablets and it's plastic and it won't help you in any way. And there's also the issues of substandard medicines or medicines that have been exposed to poor conditions because some medicines actually require some temperature when they're being stored or being moved from one place to another. The issue is so bad that PwC estimates that it's a $700 billion business. And the impact in terms of health is that about 700,000 people have died due to counterfeit malaria and TB drugs. So clearly it's a very big issue and not just in Africa, but across the world. However, we see that the countries that are most vulnerable to this issue are the ones that mainly rely on imported medications because it's really difficult to you know, track and see and regulate the medications that are actually coming into the country. And it's a very big issue and we also know that the pharmaceutical supply chain is very complex. But just to break it down uh, or give it a bit of context before I come into what PharmaTrust is doing, I'll just give a bit of context around the supply chain, where it starts with the raw materials. So the companies that deal with the raw materials that are used to make the medicines. Then we go to the manufacturers. These are the likes of GSK, Sanofi, AstraZeneca. Then we have logistics, those who actually figure out how it's getting from the manufacturers to the wholesalers. Then we have the wholesalers, the retailers who are the pharmacies and the hospitals, and finally the patient. It's a very diverse network. And when, as a patient, it would be really difficult to track where exactly in the supply chain the issue came about. So even though I've been exposed to fake medicines and let's say I wanted to take it, take legal action or sue, I would not know which party I should go to because it's such a vast network. Now I'll just bring it into context and share what PharmaTrust does. It was founded in 2017 and their core business is to try and bring about an end-to-end -end transparency and visibility into the supply chain. And they do this by using technology such as blockchain and AI. 
And the first is blockchain. And we all know that blockchain is a distributed ledger and it pegs on some very important principles of blockchain. And the first is a fact that it's immutable. So the historical records of how the products have moved from one section of the supply chain to the other cannot be changed. And if someone tries to change it or alter it, there'll be a response and everyone else in the network will be notified. The second is about security, and they ensure that all the transactions of the different stakeholders that they work with are verified before they're actually let to proceed. And of course, a big one is about provenance, where it allows you to know who had the product at, and at what stage and for how long. So if any issue comes to be down the pipeline, it'll be easy to trace the issue and hold a certain body or a certain party responsible. So it makes the process a lot more seamless. Perhaps the most important one is about the smart contracts and the fact that it allows the workflow to be more efficient because you can have automated orders and automated payments and it makes the process a lot more seamless. They have an agreement based on how often they'll be having the orders and how much will be paid at each point. It will be processed automatically, which makes it a lot more seamless and it prevents the issues whereby a middle person ends up overcharging or ends up putting bad products into the market. And maybe just to give a bit of context, they deploy the smart contracts on Tomochain as well as Quorum blockchain. And this is mainly because this was mainly with, in line with the efforts of scalability, because we know most companies and most startups are very interested and keen on scalability. And they realized that by um, implementing the smart contracts on Tomochain as well as Quorum blockchain, they'd be able to process about 2,000 to 4,000 transactions per second, which was good on their end. And in terms of the application that they actually use or the mobile phone application that they use, which then uses blockchain on the back end, they have two main solutions. And the first is a track and trace solution, which ensures that we're able to track the product on each stage of the blockchain. So we have the different stakeholders, mainly the manufacturers are able to know, okay, this is how my product is moving from one place to another. And then on the consumer end, they have the query application, which enables them to figure out, like if I have this product, I can easily just scan the barcode and I'll know how it's moved from one part of the supply chain to the rest. And um, with those solutions, they've been able to bring about a lot of impact in their community. On top of that, I mentioned they deal with both blockchain and AI. And I think the AI part is something that I'm really excited about um, because it enables manufacturers and different players at different points of the supply chain to know what exactly they need to produce, when they need to produce it, what amount. And this just enables them and empowers them to make more data-driven decisions. And I'll give the example of Kenya, which is my country, and a situation that happened not so long ago, whereby some people had gotten the first dose of the COVID vaccine. But then after that, we find that they were out of stock. So people are not able to get the second dose. So such a solution would enable manufacturers to know, okay, this is the demand in this place. This is a demand in this place. And based on that, they'll know how much they need to produce and how much they need to actually put out there. And as I mentioned, this is the problem of counterfeit drugs is a problem across the world. And mainly vulnerable countries are the ones that import the drugs a lot. And on doing my research, I found that in Africa, we import about 90% of the medications that we have here. However, I found that most of the solutions that are there 
and most of the blockchain solutions that help to track the supply chain and eradicate these medicines from the ecosystem are not really serving the African market. So I found one company that's called Mpedigree, and it is somewhat trying to solve the problem. It is solving the problem, but they don't really use blockchain. So the mode of working is they usually tag the products of the manufacturers that they work with, with a special code. So somewhat like a scratch card for airtime so that they ensure that the final consumer is the only one who can actually scratch it. And through that, they SMS that code to a certain toll-free number and they're given details as to whether it's a legitimate product or it's not. But then the issue with that is it's more of a centralized system as opposed to what blockchain offers, which is more of a distributed network. So I think that's one of the questions I would have in line with what are the solutions being done to ensure that this problem is being curbed in every part of the world. And I did further research and I found that the IBM Research Center had um, launched a project like that, particularly, I think it was the Israel team, in terms of battling counterfeit products in medicines in Kenya in particular. However, I found out that the video was um, a 2017 video and on looking at other articles, I've not really found information about um, the implementation of the project. So maybe for you, Anthony, it would be great if you could shed light on possibly how far the project has gone, maybe roadblocks that you may have met on the way, and yeah, basically the steps forward to ensure that this problem is being tackled across the world. Brilliant, Claire. Thank you so much for a fantastic introduction and immediately some homework for me to go away and get in touch with our research team. I know the guys I'm going to go to talk to and ask that one, so I promise I'll come back to you on that. And immediately, a very interesting and challenging concept of how do you manage supply chains across borders, across countries with medicines which are physical products. They move, they're in locations, they're in warehouses, they're held at different temperatures a huge amount of challenge around how the physical supply chain works, the value of data across that, you know, not just how much is being used, where is it physically, but also what condition is it in? Possibly if we're starting to see adverse reactions from patients, how can we get that information passed more quickly to the manufacturer who's on the same network as opposed to sequentially up a chain of four or five or six different parties? where actually that information may never reach it or may, there may not be an established process for being able to pass back consumer information or patient information specifically related to how it is. So really, really interesting use case. Joseph, Faith, any thoughts from yourselves on, on sort of challenges around implementation or your thoughts around the particular use case? I had something to do with the supply chain and the use case here, but um, my concern would be my educational aspects. Got you. And we're going to come to you next because I know you've got your, your own example that I'm really interested to hear more about. But I think I was really fascinated by the, the scratch card example as well as how do you manage um, how do you manage logistics and verification in a low coverage or low 3G, 4G, 5G area? And actually the, the scratch card example and the SMS is a really interesting alternative. You know, not everybody has yeah, a data yeah. connection, not everybody has a smartphone. So uh, I think really, really interesting innovation there in terms of you know, once it's scratched, you know it's scratched. It's not a QR code, it's not a unique crypto anchor. You can create physical codes, but then the issuances of those codes and so on is, is challenging. I think there's still an opportunity for, to be able to deliver that in a decentralized way. I, I just love the, the kind of the Africa-friendly form factor on that one. So Claire, brilliant, brilliant start, straight out of the blocks, no warm up. Faith, we're going to go to you next. Talk us through where are you based, where are you studied, and uh, what's your use case, please? All right. So um, good day, everybody. My name is Faith, and um, 
I studied mathematics in um, pure and applied mathematics in Ladakia Kintola University of Technology, Nigeria. So I'll be talking about blockchain in the educational industry, and I'll be using BitSat as a good case study, yeah, with convexity. So prior to now, I was going to use um, Devery, but um, since it was synonymous to, or it was related to supply chain based on even what Claire had already spoken about. So I felt they need to, you know, go different. So while I was making my research, I made research on Devery and I also made research on BitSat. Basically what they do is they render tamper-proof document and instantaneously verify that it's instantaneously verifiable on the blockchain. Yeah, but then let's not just talk about them yet. Let's talk about blockchain in the educational system generally before I then, you know, streamline it to talking about the beat set and what beat set offers. So basically blockchain in the educational system does a lot of things. Yeah, not just tampering with documents and all of that. You know, I mentioned earlier that I was going to talk about Devery and at the same time talk about beat set. Now, while I was making research on Devery, I discovered that even in blockchain, even in the educational industry in blockchain, there is still the supply chain angle, you know, where you, you need that for you know, delivering of food or distributing foods to school students, you know, all of that, which is, I mean, supply chain angle, but then still in educational industry. But then for core educational purposes, we see blockchain happening in transcript processes, you know, in formal settings. Yeah, so whereby learning context, you know, the outcomes like student achievements and certifications, you know, all of those things happening via blockchain. And we even see information on research experiences, skills being stored on the data being stored on the blockchain and all of that. So we see that on a major scale as to how blockchain can be used in the educational system, yeah, or in the educational industry. For Beats set, which of which will be the major core use case or core company I'll be talking about. So Bitset is a subsidiary from Convexity. Yeah, so Convexity is a blockchain company in Nigeria. And um, that's their, their website is with convexity.com. So what they do is they offer blockchain solutions in diverse products and in, div in diverse ways. So they have for the university diploma, they have for credit certificate, you know, for loans and, you know, all of those things, medical prescriptions and all that. Now, but then I'll be streamlining mine to their educational solution, right? And the educational solution is the BITSAT. Basically, what BITSAT does is it renders tamper-proof documents and instantaneously verifiable on the blockchain. So basically what they do is you can create, you can accept, you can hold and share verifiable diplomas, certificates, and badges. And it can be tampered with. We all know of how that works with the blockchain, you know, using uh, Ethereum and all of those smart contract processes to ensure that it's stored in such a way that one can go back to it to, you know, tamper with it and stuff, which I feel like we can all use, especially when you're taking online courses, yeah? online courses like you say you go to Coursera, you go to Alison, you go to Udacity, you know, and all of these places. Imagine getting certificates from them and ensuring that you have a proper place where you can go back to verify that oh, this certificate was given by this company. And, you know, if I'm an employer and I want to verify that certificate, knowing that it's stored on the blockchain platform, I trust it's well enough to know that this is not fake. You know, it solves the problem of documents is real or is false. 
you know, we can protect against false or distorted certificates and make them common practice for verification. So it can be something we can use generally, not just for a certain school or a certain course. You know, it's something that we can we can make become a process or you know a practice for verification. You know, so in this age, you know, we can't really trust documents. I mean, everybody can do a whole lot of things. Yeah, in Nigeria, I see people do a whole lot of awesome stuff. Yeah, I don't want to say, you know, the opposite of that. So, yeah, you see them do a lot of awesome stuff, you know, forging certificates and doing all of these things. And you see you see people sending that to companies, you see people, employees, employers not being able to verify that. I mean, in the, in the university system, so I, I recently graduated and I and there was... um. A particular thing you have to do before you go for your national youth service cup like we do here in nigeria so what you do is you go for your clearance so your clearance is i spent five years in the university so i spent five years in the university studying pure and applied mathematics now all of the processes that i had to go through which is um showing them my YAC results, you know, my jump results, my jump admission letter, my medical clearance, my sports clearance, you know, it's just a long list, you know, my library, you know, I have to clear that, you know, you, you keep clearing yourself from all of the things that you had to do. I had about three different departments, you know, the faculty was asking for verified results from my YAC. The department is asking for verified results from my YAC. The Senate was asking for the same thing, yeah. And then I had to do them one by each for each of these guys. I had to ensure that I get a card from the WAG guys, you know, a scratch card whereby I could verify that this is from WAG. Now, after I did that, the school still had to do that themselves. So I felt like, what do I have to buy my own scratch card to show you that this is a verified WAG result, then still go back to the school to pay for another scratch card to verify that result. I mean, that process felt like it was, it could have been avo avoided. So that's why, while talking about this niche in blockchain education, I am also trying to emphasize the need for why it should become a practice. Yeah, why it should become, like that verification process should become a practice. So we don't have to go through that challenge. I mean, this is something I experienced like two months ago thereabouts. It's something we can look into. So educational institutions should take it to their own hands to combat you know, the theft of diplomas and ensure that only legitimate students can earn you know, recognition and respect for their efforts. It happens, I don't know if it happens outside Nigeria and stuff, you know, it happens here whereby people get to cut corners towards getting a particular certificate and they still use that. You know, sometimes you might not verify. Imagine spending five years in a university, all for you to realize that your um, results, I mean, we had that issue with JAM. You know, we had to go for JAM regularization and all of that. JAM is like a joint admission matriculation board for Nigerians when you want to go into the university. So I even had that personal issue where I had to go back to the JAM office for regularization. If not, I wouldn't be able to graduate. Yeah, so imagine we remove all of those things. It, it costed me an extra time to go for my NYSC. That's my thing we do in Nigeria, whereby you, you serve the country when you're done for a year. So I was supposed to do that in July, but because I had to do my regularization, of which the jump office said, come back August 5th. I mean, that's that's a lot. Coming back August 5th just to do something that I could have done in the tinkle of an high and, you know, move on with the necessary registration and, you know, go on with my service. You know, so that is a very good case study on, on how this effort could be shown if we had the proper 
protocol and process to these things. You know, once it could just be automated and, you know, we just see it from the blockchain platform and it's verified and we, everybody just goes, you know, I mean, it would have made it a lot easier. So it could offer simple and fast solution, securing student diplomas on Ethereum blockchain, for example, and making them irreversible and immediately verifiable. Yeah, so as seen below. So if it was immediately verifiable, I wouldn't have gone through that process. That's um, what BitSets, for example, is trying to you know, show us. And that's basically the major thing BitSets solution is providing. It's a very simple solution. It's straightforward. It's something we all can understand. That's why I wouldn't be dwelling so much on it. But prior to them, we could see the likes of University of Nicosia. You know, University of Nicosia were actually the first university to start verifying documents via the blockchain platform. They did most of their massive open online courses, their, their mock platforms, you know, it was all on the blockchain. So it was very easy for you to get your badge, get your, your certifications and all of that. So they, had, they ensured that their mock platforms were on the blockchain. But then that is a very good use case to um, BitSat and what BitSat has been able to do. But while making my research, you know, I discovered that there is much to how we can explore blockchain in the educational niche. And luckily, I run a startup in my school, that's cyclebreeze.com. So run a research and technological development startup. And we were once working on a project there, STER, which is a project we're working on for the educational system. Now, we discovered that as much as we are seeing people build products on the educational system and you see them taking a niche but you see a, a company like google you know where they are using um bonding formula to ensure that we have google meet you know google drive you know google mail and all of those things imagine uh, convexity having bitset looking into other platforms that one could use blockchain on Faith, firstly, thank you very much for bringing what is a very personal story with some really interesting examples to this. The space of digital credentials, verifiable credentials, self-sovereign identity has just proliferated over the last 18 months and before. Medical credentials, student credentials, digital identity, learning. The examples you gave were brilliant. You're also seeing the likes of Accredify in Singapore. IBM's got its own learning credentials network in the US that's doing similar. I think one of the challenges we're seeing is how do we join the dots here? Right. What we're seeing is some small networks of parties, you know, the issuer in terms of the universities, the holder in terms of the students, then the verifiers, which can be almost anybody, employers, could be other academic institutions, you know, lots of different organizations. How do we make sure that there's a, a wide enough network that those credentials are being accepted by all? Right. So I think we're still at the early stages of figuring out how this plays out. But the good news is we're seeing, seeing the examples of it being possible it being used in different contexts, exams, final exams, credentials where you're doing multiple units to be able to add up to a single one. So you're seeing non-fungible tokens related to, to education. Really, really great example. I'm also noticing Ridwan's joined us. So shout to you, Ridwan. Thanks for making it in partway through. We're going to come to you in a little while. But first, I want to bring Joseph in. Joseph, thanks for waiting patiently. Which is the example you're going to take us through? And where are you? Where are you based? And where did you study? Thank you very much. I'm Joseph. I live in Lagos, Nigeria, studied from the University of Lagos. And um, I will be walking through the blockchain use cases and supply chain uh, management. The, the case study I'll be using is a Walmart. But before then, I would like to dive into the supply chain management use case by blockchain. Now, every enterprise blockchain should have, under the supply chain uh, management system, should have um, these three key bullet points. 
which include the traceability, the transparency, and the tradability. Now, traceability in the sense that um, they, they want their products to at least to be recalled, that uh, you can actually get it from the origin, where they came from, where is this particular food item from, or where it's been farmed and stuff like that. Also, it also helps to reduce those counterfeit and also fraud. Other to transparency, rather, um, we, we talked of easy tracking. We want to know where this um, particular item is gotten from, like through the basic players, which include the, the, the manufacturers, the farmer, the processors, and also the retailer. Still on transparency, we have the regulatory compliances and the reporting and documentations. Now, all these things are what the consumer rather want to see in what they are consuming or want to see in what they are actually um, getting from the store. Then tradability talks about the ownership, um, who is the owner of this particular farmland or the license, or is this person licensed to do this kind of farming or whatnot. Now, my case study is on Walmart, which is a big company. I'll just talk a little about Walmart, which is an American multinational company that operates um, basically in the US and other parts of the world as well. And their, their core value or their core goal is basically to help people to save money, which is quite interesting. I have a little bit of a background with um, Walmart, back to the history of some water. Now, based on research, um, they have about 200 million consumers every week that access about um, 11,000 stores. And their capital, their revenue is roughly about 500 billion, which is quite large. Now, according to a research by Gartner, he said by 2023, 30% of the manufacturing company with about 5 billion in revenue we project or leverage the use of technology like blockchain for their supply chain management and adoption, and which is quite very interesting why I actually picked this particular project. Now, to start with, uh, we will talk about why um, blockchain, why this blockchain at this particular moment. Now, they came out with these um, analogies like, okay, now there was an outbreak of foodborne disease which happened and it takes days and time to trace where this particular disease or this illness um, is originated, basically it's from the source. Now, which brings us back to traceability on the supply chain. Not only this, if I should um, play back to Africa, according to the World Health Organization, foodborne hazards are responsible for over 100 of thousands of deaths in Africa and 90 million illness in Africa every year which has affected children from the age of under five years. Now, this is a key problem why blockchain should be bringing into this picture or why supply chain should have something traceable and transparent. Now, um, I'm just going to talk a little on how the Walmart actually work. Walmart work using blockchain technology definitely by decentralizing their food supply ecosystem. It is a good call for Walmart to take up this um, responsibility uh, back in 2016 where they apply this um, solution, making use of two use cases using the proof of concept. Now, proof of concept in the sense that they want to test this technology from real life use cases. They want to see how this is going to play out. They want to see if a situation like foodborne disease should happen and we should be able to trace it back at a very minimum time and with a good accuracy. And that's when Walmart came in partnership with the IBM Hyperledger, which is the blockchain framework for implementing this particular solution. Now, a little on the Hyperledger Fabric blockchain. Now, it is a project hosted on the Linus Foundation with the intention 
to bring out further development of applications or solutions with their smart contracts and their blockchain technology. Um, the smart contract being the chain code, which is more like a um, smart contract we have in the Ethereum platform and Waterfall. In this process, they, they actually have these two use cases which they actually did consider. One with the traceability of their mangroves in the US and also the traceability of Hawkmates in China, their store in China. They came out with this solution and discovered that it is even more safer and even faster to run a good traceable supply chain of mangroves in the US within a couple of four minutes, like in less than 2.2 seconds, we can you know, trace back to say, oh, wow, this mangrove is from this particular farm and pass through these processes. Why? Because blockchain consists of a lot of nodes, and this node could represent the, the big players in the supply chain, which include the manufacturer, the processors, they can be the node. And also the technology used as well was a permissioned blockchain technology, whereby it's not um, fully public as um, we have in other blockchain, like from the Ethereum or the Bitcoin. This permission simply means that those people that are particularly involved in these processes are the nodes. They, they represent the node, represent the, the big stakeholders in this game. So they keep track on everything and also uh, make sure that nothing is being tampered with. Although, uh, of course, we know the technology can be tampered, but we just want to make it very more effective and straightforward. Currently, Walmart is tracking about 25 food items with the Hyperledger protocol which include from mangroves, strawberries, some leafy greens, then with meat, the chicken, the pork, dairy items, yogurt, um, the milk, and also multi-ingredient products, which um, include the, the baby food, you know, which is very key. You know, we ought to know how this food are being gotten from, where it's coming from, and where it's actually going. What really interests me about this project was the IBM Food Trust. Um, the technology, the blockchain technology Walmart came into and how they were able to establish this and um, make it very open. The IBM Food Trust, a little I can talk about it, is the first blockchain food safety solution that allows transaction partners to confidently and securely share food information, creating a more transparent and trustworthy global food supply chain. Now, this is very, very key. Like I, I became very interested with this particular project based on the Food Trust concept. So it doesn't just talk about just the Walmart, which is a, a leading supply chain company, but also companies like Nesto and the rest. And under the food trust concept, there are these key features like the supply chain efficiency, the, the band trust, the food safety, sustainability, food freshness, food fraud, and food waste. Now, if we recall, for example, the food waste per se, in Nigeria, like I'm back home, I know we do record food waste due to poor um, supply chain management, which could be as a result of the transportation of this particular food products from the farmland to where they get good traction and where it is um, properly consumed. They used to get this um, food shortage and also food wastage along the line. So if solutions like blockchain can be fully implemented, whereby investors who have investment or stake on this particular supply chain can be able to come in to see, oh, where is this uh, particular product at this point in time? And also, you know, try to balance up things and, you know, put more resources on how to get this food supply from that manufacturer straight to the consumer to bring a better food consumption. 
one thing I'm skeptical a little about um, this project, and I believe which you can also throw more light, is um, the stand in Africa, which I've said, we have food, it's something like, for example, onion supply. Onions come from the Northern Nigeria to the Southern Nigeria. And most times, not basically most times, some of these food don't get their actual percentage when they get to the consumer end, which is the Southern Nigeria. So uh, what does Africans stand in this global change? You know, blockchain is a good solution. We've seen use cases and we've seen good development with the aspect of the food trust um, development from the IBM. Another point I would like to also get more insight is the interoperability of this um, project. With other blockchain network like the Ethereum, which are just open, you know, and is open to everybody, how do we make them interoperability? How do we put them into action so that investors from every angle and every corner who owns or who understand the blockchain technology can come into these systems and have a say or do one or two things to boost this um, global change in Africa, basically. Yeah, that's, that's all for me. Thank you very much. No, brilliant, brilliant questions, Joseph. And thank you for a very comprehensive overview. And some, some of the issues there are exactly the ones that we deal with every day in terms of how do we scale the network? How do we make sure that it's accessible to as many as possible? How can you digitize a supply chain that may have challenges around digitization? We had the same with Claire's example. It's not always possible that you've got fully digitized inventory and delivery systems across everybody in the supply chain. And that's going to make some of that traceability harder to do not impossible, but in some cases where there's value in those transformations, it's not necessarily the farmers or the logistic companies themselves that have to do all of the investment in the technology advancement. You might see that actually some of the manufacturers or the brands or the retailers will actually help to invest to improve the digitization and quality of the systems of their suppliers or of their supply chain, because actually ultimately they benefit. It costs them less to transact. They've got greater traceability and transparency. You've got another challenge, which actually is a lot of supply chains are many to many. It's not that you have a unique relationship between Walmart and one of their mango suppliers. It might be that they supply Walmart and Costco and Kroger and a whole bunch of others. And so who's going to make those investments? Do you mutualize it? Or can you do an individual project yourself because the business case makes sense? Super, super interesting and challenging one. Also then the kind of permission versus permissionless or how to connect permissioned and permissionless in some of these networks, typically because you want to use smart contracts or you want to use automation, it's important for some of these businesses to know who is on the network, who are the parties. So being able to do know your client or know your customer on a permissionless network is sometimes a little bit at odds with what's required by the businesses. Hence, you see some of these private networks spinning up. But there's a whole bunch more we could talk on this one and happy to take some of those questions offline and come back with a few specific comments. I know Claire's already given me some homework on this one, so shout to you for that. And I also noticed Ridwan joined us midway through. You managed to find a place, some internet and some power. So thank you very much for jumping in. We've got a few minutes. So Ridwan, tell us where are you? Where are you based? Uh, where are you studying? And what's your example, please? All right, good afternoon. Uh, my name is uh, Ridwan. My friends call me Binary. I am a computer science student from uh, Hamadi Bello University here in Nigeria. I'm a Nigerian. And on this uh, topic, I'll be on this uh, podcast session, I'll be talking about how can we use blockchain in governance? How can we bring technology as a tool to make lives better, to provide solutions? And in Nigeria here, we still go to the old fashioned way of voting. We, we go to a polling center, we acquire our voters' card. After acquiring the voters' card, on the voting day, you go to the polling centers again, polling booths, you queue for like almost hours to, to cast your vote. And eventually, we still use this uh, thumbprint 
uh, whereby the, the INEC officials, that's the electoral body, they come with the ballot papers. And then after the voters, they get accredited. So it's a place where you verify, you verify a particular voter. The voter must have registered earlier with the commission before. So when you get there, you get verified. So once you are verified, you then proceed to vote. So how do you vote? You vote by using your thumbprints. So you place your thumbprint on the ballot paper and then you put the ballot paper inside a container or something. It, it, it is no, no longer news that this, this method, this process is actually is not transparent in, in any way. I mean, the officials come, they come to a polling unit. After we've all voted, they take back the container to wherever it is, they take it to, and then the following day, or probably three days later, we hear results. Even we, like there are scenarios where even we as polling centers, we know the votes that were, that were casted were not up to the number of votes that we later see in the results. I mean, how can you tell me for my own polling units, I know everybody that came to vote, the votes shouldn't be more than, let's say, 400. But eventually, when they release the results, my year 1,000 or 2,000. So these are challenges. And the electoral process in Nigeria is not transparent in any way. I'm sorry I'm talking with respect to Nigeria because I'm a Nigerian. I don't know what's happening in Ghana or, or thereabouts. So we, I and my friends, uh, a couple of my friends, we worked on a solution in 2019 that has to do with e-voting, how we can use blockchain to make our voting better. How can you ensure that, okay, my vote gets counted? Who I voted for actually receives the vote. And then eventually, how transparent is the result? Because these are actually very important because voting is a key part of go governance. That's how we elect our leaders. If I voted for Anthony, I don't want to see Joseph tomorrow because I know I voted for Anthony. So how do I verify that my vote for Anthony actually counts? And eventually, Anthony actually gets the votes because there are rumors, in fact, there are rumors, and we know actually they are true, but then again, whatever it is, you can't verify. It's actually a rumor. There are rumors that, okay, I vote for a particular party, eventually the vote gets casted for another party. So in this case, uh, I during my research, I've been able to come across a website that uh, does something similar. We have a project already. It was, uh, we, were, we were in attendance in the National Blockchain Hackathon held in Abuja, that's Nigeria's capital. We presented the prototype, I and my friends, how we can a mini e-voting system that allows one particular user to vote for one candidate. You can't vote for multiple candidates. And multiple candidates cannot receive your vote. So you can only vote for one person. Once you vote for one person, you sign in with your credentials. Uh, Once you vote offline, and then it takes that particular candidate offline also. So it means you can't vote for that person again. So the result is void of human interference. Everything is done by the system. So it has nothing to do with human interference at all. So these are challenges, these are problems, these are issues that using blockchain as a tool to make governance better could have solved. But let me say we solve. So uh, when I checked uh, online, I found a uh, ballot chain. Ballot chain is also doing something similar. They use Ethereum to build their own network. So it's an online voting system where uh, users, uh, voters come and vote for their candidates. How they do it, the candidate already registers with ballot chain. So when uh, voters come, they get to deposit a certain amount of tokens in crypto on their into their candidates' wallet. So if I and Anthony, let's say for say now, are candidates, so when users come, when voters come, 
the term and then the deposit tokens in our own wallets. So eventually the user, or let me say the candidate that has the highest number of, let's say cryptos in, in his or her wallet wins. So that one is, it, it's actually open, it is clean. It is visible, everybody can see it and it can't be changed. You can't go and beg for somebody to come and vote for you. It's not possible. And then eventually if you get 10, let's say for instance, 10 coins in your wallet, you can't visit to like 20 coins. It's not possible. I only have five minutes, like uh, Hunter said, so I, I won't like to take much of our time. E-voting is actually uh, something, and recently the, the federal, uh, what's it called, government in Nigeria, they recently passed a bill on e-voting. I think it's actually in the second stage. They want to transmit our uh, electoral results through the internet. Although I think they're still in the second stage, the senators are still working on it. But, but I believe this is actually, let's say, a first stage, or let me say a first step in uh, actually bringing and uh, actualizing e-voting in Nigeria. So at least we can have transparent, safe, and secured our uh, elections. So I don't know if I'm able to do justice to that topic. Yeah. So, you did a brilliant job. And in a short amount of time, I really appreciate it. And it's actually having the context of how voting is done today, but also seeing that government is actively assessing or progressing moves towards e-voting, I think is, is hugely positive. There's definitely some challenges around digitization of voting, blockchain or not, in terms of how do we make sure that we've got proof that individuals are who they say they are when they are voting, level of digitization in certain countries as to whether everybody, whether that's equitable for enough of society or whether we can have a, a hybrid system where you've got a non-digital system for those who are less digitally capable and a digital system for others. It might be that we see a patchwork for a little while, but it's interesting, this is the second group of students who've brought up voting as a particular priority for themselves. So thank you so much for sharing that example. And, and thank you, Joseph, Claire, and Faith. It's been a hugely insightful and interesting journey into how to work or how to think about technology in Africa. I know we've had a very limited amount of time, but thank you so much, guys, for your contribution. I promise to get back to you on the homework you've given me. And good luck with your continued studies. Thank you for all the hard work you put into preparing for today. And stay safe out there. Thanks again for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. As always, opinions in this episode are mine and those of my guests alone. If you want to find out more, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out some of the other episodes on the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast and check out the YouTube channel also called Blockchain Won't Save the World.